Welcome to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Plan. Uh, I'm pleased to have two of my associates here, Menninger & Associates. Hey, you're two of the associates. <laughs> Go for um, to my furthest right is Ryan Keefe, uh, who's actually my first employee, second employee, where's my longest tenured employee right now. Yeah. And also to my right is, um, what's your name again? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle Ryan, not to be confused with Ryan. <laughs> We don't have that problem around our office, thank goodness. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm pleased to have two of my associates here with me. And so what we're doing here, and we found that we've gotten a lot of positive feedback when we've done episodes that were Q&A. Uh, actually like doing question and answers because what it does is it kind of launches uh, an opportunity for us to talk about a particular topic that was a question that was either one that may have been asked to us by someone shooting us an email, whether it's a client or online in our website, or just questions that we scour the internet for commonly asked questions because it just gives us, if some people are asking the question, then obviously it's a question that people have. So this gives us the opportunity to do that. So um, the next three weeks we're gonna be having on uh, questions and answers and uh, at least for the first two episodes, we're going to be talking about questions that were related to investments. And we put these first because of the fact that uh, we're on the heels of a two episodes uh, back in, I guess, early August, um, where with our chief investment officer, a chartered financial analyst, the CFA, uh, we did two episodes on the economy. Um, then we had the student loan forgiveness uh, then we did an episode on, uh, it was last week, we did the episode on our company's investment policy, which provides the fundamentals. Uh, so it kind of falls in hand that we're going to be talking about questions that are associated with investments. So uh, with no further ado, I'm going to request that the producer put the question up on the screen as I read them. So first question, how do I offset the effects of higher inflation on my retirement portfolio. Well, that's interesting because uh, that was the, the topic of the one episode when we had Thomas Bayless, the, the CFA. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the entire episode was on inflation and obviously we're smack dab in the middle of it. Right. You know, we've been dealing with 40-year um, high inflation since, I guess, February or March of this year. Mm -hmm. And needless to say, that's had impacts on client <laughs> portfolios. And so the question has been raised. And actually, we wrote an article on that one time, uh, not too long ago, I think, what, two or three months ago? Mm -hmm. uh, we wrote mm -hmm. an article in, in a magazine, you know, what do you do about the effects of inflation? Right. So uh, what are some of the ideas? Well, some of the things that we personally have done with our client portfolios um, are there are two asset classes that usually do fairly well during high inflationary periods, one being commodities um, and the other being uh, what are referred to as tips. Um, tips are you know, bonds that rise with inflation. Um, TIPS is an acronym, Treasury yeah. Inflated Protection, Protected Securities. Right, right. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Alphabet soup. Alphabet we soup. had that discussion yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, um, so those generally do well when, as inflation is bringing uh, the uh, you know, buying power uh, higher. Um, so that's, those are two asset classes that we, we generally like to employ during high inflationary periods. Well, and high inflation also comes hand in hand with the raising of interest rates. Mm -hmm. 
and when you're raising interest rates, um, it can and will have an impact on a lot of other types of investments. So while a couple of the things that you talked about capitalize and perform well in those environments, it also becomes incumbent upon, as we talked about in the last episode, is protecting portfolios. So when I see a question like this, the first thing I think is not cash. Um, <laughs> because you know, you've know you got 9% inflation, your cash is earning you nothing, you're, you're losing you're 9%. You're losing 9 <laughs> But when the market's down anywhere from 10 to 20%, having cash doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> yeah, right. So I mean, typically, you know, just like Ryan said, you know, tips, um, commodities, whether that's food prices, oil, real estate does typically does well. Because um, it's inflation proof. Yes. Right. right. Yep. And the reason why real estate's considered to be inflation proof is that if you own real estate, generally speaking, you're renting it or it, the cost of living going up is not going to have an impact on the real estate. And if it's commercial real estate, it's very simple. They're just constantly raising the rates for tenants. So real estate is considered not to be good against inflation, but it's a hedge mm -hmm. against inflation. Right. In other words, inflation doesn't impact it as yeah. much. It's a tricky question because you have to weigh what, what's good in an inflationary environment and then you have to determine, well, what's specific about your inflationary environment like this one that we have right now. Right. Well, the other <laughs> thing too is um, protecting the portfolio. Right. So as you pointed out, cash, like what good is cash? Cash by definition is always going to lag right. inflation. Okay. Well, but getting zero or one percent Beats losing <laughs> five, ten, or twenty. Yeah. So you know, while a lot of the things that we've done have been in our portfolios, is we've backed off on a lot of the investments that do poorly in an inflationary environment. What mm -hmm. are those? Because of the fact that it's not just the inflation, you have to figure trailing immediately behind inflation is the, the rising, interest, rising interest, interest rates, rates. Mm -hmm. forced by the government. Right. So what happens is that in the environment of stocks, what do you avoid? You well, avoid the, the growth, yeah. Right, the, the growth stocks. Yeah. Because the valuations of stocks are based on future earnings right. and they don't provide dividends usually and their earnings are expected to be higher and faster and then present value calculations, higher interest rates destroy. Hence, ever since right. they sniffed out the concept of inflation and rising interest rates, mm -hmm. the NASDAQ, which is heavy in tech, has been getting pummeled mm -hmm. since November of last year, which is down 35, 40% almost. Uh, maybe not 40, maybe but. At one point yeah. it was. At one point there, it was, yeah. yeah. No, not anymore. Yeah. But it's still the, the worst performing index because it is tied to the growth right. stocks. So that's one piece. Another piece that you avoid when you have a rising interest rate is long term bonds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay, because long-term bonds will get crushed in a rising interest rate environment, right. which means that the things you do oftentimes are the things you don't do hmm. or the things you avoid. Right. You avoid the things that are going to get punished or penalized or smoked during those long-term bonds. So even you take a look at our portfolios today, okay, look at where our portfolios are today. We have a certain amount in cash. Mm -hmm. Almost 10%, which is like unheard of. Yeah. Won't be long because now we're going to be getting to other investments that are paying a little bit more right. in cash. Um, but 
you know, bonds are losing value, stocks are losing value, where do you hide? It's the, in the uh, industry, there's become a acronym that's become pretty popularized, uh, TINA. Uh, there is no alternative. Um, it seems like stocks are going down, bonds are going down. You're losing out if you're in cash to inflation. So what do you do? Uh, so a lot of times, or what we've been doing during this environment is exploring investment vehicles that are, say, market neutral, right. where they focus on, you know, like we have a mergers and acquisitions fund that we really like, um, or there's alternative investments where they kind of have buffers built into them and they'll cap you on the upside, but limit your downside. Right. And it's, it's kind of all just about weathering the storm and trying to make it out as... <laughs> as healthy as you can until the market hopefully right uh, you know, well and the markets will eventually return yep. and it's just a question of when mm -hmm. and history how long shows. history has shown <laughs> right okay thank you very much there's no guarantee of future as I went. No, <laughs> past right. performance does not guarantee future results yep. so so you look at our portfolios today and out of our you know let's just take our 60 40 bond or 60 percent stock 40 percent bond mm -hmm. I mean holy cow I think we're at 50 maybe 55, 50% stocks, uh, Ruff, roughly 50 to 55% stocks. Roughly, it depends on which fund you categorize as stock funds. Right, because we actually have, yeah. it's included in the 60%, right. it's hedged, right. so it's protected on the downside. Right. So even that 50% equities isn't full equity. Right, really. exactly, yeah. and then if you take a look at the 40% bonds, which is now probably like 50, is, well actually 10% cash, 40% bonds, mm -hmm. almost all of it are in protective type of bonds. Right. So what we've been finding is that we're outperforming when the markets are stinking up the joint, when right. things are doing poorly. Right. And that's consistent with our investment philosophy and our clients' philosophy. You know, if the markets take off and run, well then we're probably gonna lag. And you know, it's one of the things that, that we talked about in my weekly market recap that since June, or not June, July, I guess when, when did the markets really begin? We had a good July. Yeah. We weren't believers. You know, we, we just didn't believe that there was reason for the markets to be going up as much as they did. So during that period when the markets were up, I think something like 6% in July, well, our accounts weren't up 6%. But then again, when the markets have gone down since then, particularly since the federal, the Fed came out and Jackson said, Hall Jackson yeah, Hall we're not, when Jackson Hole said we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna be holding tight to mm -hmm. raising interest rates, the markets got crushed, guess what? We didn't get crushed so bad. Yeah. So anyway, so there's a lot of things and that goes back to the investment philosophy. But in answer to the question is, you know, a lot of times what you're doing to offset, it's tough to offset other than protect, but there are ways with which you can offset. Hmm. All right, next question. Huh, we just talked about this. What happens when the Fed raises interest rates and why do they do it? Again, it goes back to our episode that we had a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. You know, why do they raise interest rates? Right. To curb inflation. What is inflation? When too, too much money is chasing too few goods, how do you curb inflation? You reduce demand by increasing interest rates. And that's how it's supposed to just sort of funnel itself out from a very simplistic nature. That is a very simplistic way of putting it. And it's actually, you know, if you think about what inflation is, as you pointed out, it's supply and demand imbalance. If 10 people want to buy something that I'm selling. Raise the price. Let's talk about get it. what it was today. You have millions of people across the world who can't spend their money during a global pandemic, who get more money that they can't spend, and then they're allowed to spend it. 
and then everyone's spending it like crazy. We run out of supply. So then the price of goods goes up because people are going to pay it. And then we're all like, how did this get here? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. So we had an oversupply of money. So, so what the Fed's job is to do, they have two edicts, which is to control, basically control inflation. It's not exactly what the edict is. Yeah. And to... To mandates. Yeah. And, and make sure that they keep the job market. And so by them raising rates, they know, expect that it's going to slow down the economy. Yeah, right. The job market's on fire. They can afford it. That's right. <laughs> so in other words, it's right. So, so if they're worried about the job market, well, they're not worried about the job market. And that's mm -hmm. why Chairman Powell came out you know, a few weeks ago and said, hey, you know what? Uh, sorry, guys, but we're putting pedal to the metal. Right. We got to put this inflation in control because... You go all the way back to 1980-81, Paul Volcker, he raised interest rates 12% in less than one year. Right. So, <laughs> so Hard to so, imagine today. Right. So, <laughs> so for those people who are complaining about interest rates going yeah. up, uh, what, I don't know, 2.5% maybe? Three since, I, don't, I don't even know what it was because I'm losing track. But you raise interest rates by 2 or 3% right. in six or eight months, that's nothing <laughs> compared. Right. I mean, that's when... You know, mortgages were 17, 18%. And, you know, clients say, I remember when I was, <laughs> when I got a 12% refi, I was jumping for joy. Could you imagine 12% interest rates today? It's yeah. hard to imagine. Not happening. Well, it know. seems backwards today. Good news is bad news, right? So if their two mandates are controlling unemployment and inflation, well, if employment numbers come out really good, just like the August jobs numbers just came out and it was better than expected, well, now all of a sudden the Fed has more juice to raise interest rates. Because they which have does to, actually, right. So yeah. you have positive for the market and a negative for the market due to the positive. Right, <laughs> and that's so, funny. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where the Fed is working uh, t tirelessly to prevent um, essentially having such strong employment and wage growth that the wages are going to grow because employers want to keep people working. And yep. right now there's you know, two jobs available for every one person looking. Oh, I know. Um, so people are paying their employees more. And then you know, the employees have more money to spend. They go out, they spend it. And subsequently, the inflation keeps going up. I know. So the Fed yeah. is, is kind of, they're trying to chase their tail, so to speak. I know, it's and tough. It's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, I'm glad it's not my job. Right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, and it actually, you go back to the wage growth, that's the great resignation. Mm -hmm. What's happening is employers are having to pay more, combination of trying to retain employees because employees are jumping ship. Yep. And part of the reason employees are jumping ship, quite frankly, is um, fuel costs. You, you don't hear it as much in you know, the metropolis on the East Coast, but you go out sort of in the middle of the country, the heartland, and people are driving 40 miles each way mm -hmm. to go to work, and the cost of fuel is making it so that they're asking, hey, I need a raise, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, so there's a lot of different things moving on. So anyway, uh, we're up against break. Uh, we will pick this up with the next question as soon as we return, uh, we'll be with you in just a few moments. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. 
When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. We're joking during break. We got through two questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, though. I mean, the whole idea of the questions, quite frankly, it's not trying to um, see how many questions we can go. What it does is it provides the opportunity to uh, have a, an open panel discussion on certain things that are going on. So uh, the third one, third question, how do bonds work? And this was the one that I wanted to take because I teach this stuff. And so how do bonds work? Bond is an IOU. It's a company borrowing money from you. Now you got federal government bonds and you got corporate bonds. Work the same way. Federal government bond, federal government issues a bond. They're gonna issue a 10 year bond. Basically that means that you're borrow, they're, they're, you're lending the government money. And if the bond says it's going to pay 3% interest, they pay you not 3% per se, but if it's a $1,000 bond, 3% on $1,000 is 30 bucks. They're gonna pay you 30 bucks a year until the maturity date of the bond, at which point they give you your $1,000 back. Well, let's apply that now to corporate bonds. Companies, GE, Microsoft, Apple, you name it. Companies, you know, public companies borrow money. One of the ways with which they can borrow money is issue bonds. And when they issue bonds, is an expensive task to do, but they do. And they're effectively borrowing money from the public. And bonds are in $1,000 denominations. So there's only three things there are to know about a bond. It's $1,000. When does it mature? In other words, when do I get my $1,000 back? And what is the coupon? Now, coupon is the interest rate, sort of, okay? So how does it work? So let's say, for instance, a company, I'll call it Apple. Apple is considered to be, they're not gonna fall apart anytime soon, okay? It's a big, solid company. Uh, they might be AAA rated. What they do is Apple will say, well, hey, you know what? The federal government, which is considered to be, U.S. federal government is considered to be the safest investment in the world, which on a side note is pretty scary. But <laughs> anyway, so what they do is they compare how much risk are they compared to the federal government. So Apple, being a AAA company, might be able to say, well, we could do 4%. All that means, as the example that I had just used, is that they're paying a coupon of 4% of $1,000 is 40 bucks, which is distributed twice a year, every six months, until they define the expiration date of the bond, and let's say it's year 2050, okay? So what that's basically saying is I'm giving Apple thousand dollars they're borrowing a thousand dollars for me and I know until the year 2050 I'm getting 40 bucks a year and then in the year 2050 I get my thousand dollars back well hey if I think four percent is a good rate that's a beautiful thing great 
Now, what happens is, after that day that the bond is actually issued, I could say, hey, Ryan, how would you like to buy my $1,000 Apple bond? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I can be able to go resell that bond. So the value of the bond varies. So if the going interest rate, like in this particular instance, we used it relative to the federal government at 3%, what if the interest rates at the government went up to 8%? How are you feeling about that 4% bond today? Not too happy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. So what happens is you may say, hey, Mike, I'll give you $800 for that $1,000 bond, mm -hmm. which means effectively you're still getting 40 bucks a year, but 40 bucks on 800 is now 5%. But wait, there's more. Because at the end of 2050, you're getting the full $1,000 back, which means that you also gained the extra 200. 200. So effectively, that ends up being yield to maturity, which will go even with whatever the government bonds are going for. But what ends up happening here? Interest rates rose the value of the bond dropped. So, hence, we're in a rising interest rate environment. That value of the bond is dropping because of the fact that that 4% bond is just not looking that appealing anymore, mm -hmm. okay? So that's one reason a bond can change in value. Here's another reason why the bond can change in value. First of all, let's use that same bond, okay? If it's about to expire in a few weeks, then chances are that bond is going to be awfully darn close to $1,000, right? Which means that as you get closer and closer to the maturity date, you get closer and closer to that $1,000, which also means that you can have a rise or a drop in interest rates. Well, heck, if I know I'm getting my $1,000 back in three weeks, that value of the bond is not gonna change much, mm -hmm. okay? Which, I'll talk about that in a minute. The third reason why a bond value could change is what if all of a sudden the issuing company, in this case we used Apple as the example, if the issuing company was in threat of going bankrupt, I might not get my $1,000 back. Mm -hmm. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> How would you like this bond <laughs> of this company that might not pay you back uh, in 2050? Not much, yeah, right? Yeah. So you might say, hey, whoa, whoa, wait. Okay, I, I, I'll give you $500 for it or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening? It's still spitting out 40 bucks a mm -hmm. year. You're getting an 8% yield, okay? Mm -hmm. And if that company still is around in 2050, you go from 500, you pay 500. You're getting $1,000 back. And by the way, that's what's referred to in our industry as high-yield bonds. Now, go back 30, 40 years ago, junk bonds was another term for it. I hate that term because it's just, I don't know, I don't like the term. Now, so what just happened here? This, we just demonstrated that, let's go back again. Interest rates dropped to 0% or a half a percent like they did. How's that 4% bond looking right now? Yeah, <laughs> awfully darn good. Mm -hmm. So what you see here is the underlying value of the bond changes with interest rates inversely, such that if the interest rates rise, 
My bond continues to pay 40 bucks a year, which isn't all that appealing, the value of my bond drops. Meanwhile, if interest rates drop, my 4% bond is awfully appealing, now all of a sudden, the value of the bond goes up. So, in a rising interest rate environment, the value of bonds generally will go down, but the example that I used is if it's gonna mature in three weeks, it's not going to move off that $1,000 much. Right. But if that bond doesn't mature until 2050, oh, oh baby, that's going to move a lot. Yep. What's the moral of the story? This goes to our investment philosophy, our active management, and what we've been doing in the rising interest rate environment. In the earlier part of the episode, we talked about commodities and tips and things like that. But what we're also doing in a rising interest rate environment is we're saying, hey, man, we're going to pare down and go with the really short-term bonds because the really short-term bonds are going to be less adversely impacted. Right. Meanwhile, if we think or foresee that the interest rates are going to go back down again, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden we want to go out for the longer-term bonds. Right. And you know that's predicated on where we're going with the economy, where the Fed is as far as raising interest rates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks for all your input on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to give one more question here, okay, because it's, it's, it's directly related, is, uh, and then we've got to wrap up this episode. What are the pros and cons of investing in CDs? Well, a CD, to a great extent, is like a bond, okay? And, and CD, Certificate of Deposit. Right. For people that don't know. Right. Certificate of, and they're issued by banks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they say, okay, you got a one-year CD and it'll pay you a whopping 1%. So the pros and cons is the pro is clearly I'm getting 1% for the next one year, no risk of loss. It's more than it's going to get in your savings account, you know, checking accounts. So you get a higher rate, um, but the con of it is you lose liquidity. You know, most of them will require a lockup for a certain amount of time or else you're going to lose a certain amount of your interest. Right. You'll pay a penalty. And the interest penalty, the penalty is typically some or all of the interest that you've gotten. So, you know, and, and by the way, if people ladder CDs. Yep. They'll, right. they'll buy a one-year CD, a two-year CD, and a three-year CD. And every time the one-year CD, they go out. They go out. And they, yeah. sit, they sit here and ladder they CDs. Monthly, too. You do monthly. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a little bit more active, but. <laughs> <laughs> a little more of a hassle. Yeah. Guy, yeah. As if you like to visit your bank every month. <laughs> so anyway, so we made it just through a few questions. Um, what we'll do is we will have another episode where we continue through questions and answers on investment questions that we have. So thank you for joining and look forward to seeing you the next time. And we pick up where we left off from this question. So uh, have a wonderful day, wonderful week. Uh, signing off, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner manager and associates, and here's a couple of my associates. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day.